This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. Today, the World Health Organization issued a stark warning. The coronavirus pandemic is not only continuing to spread, it is accelerating. And every day in the United States, the numbers get even more staggering. Right now, we know of more than 41,000 confirmed cases in the United States. That is up more than 10 times from the 4,000 cases just one week ago today. Look at that trajectory. The death toll in the United States also exploding. And in this, at this hour, we've passed a grim milestone. We are now up to 501 deaths, passing 500 just in the last few minutes. This time one week ago, the death toll was 70. Now it's 501. The U.S. Surgeon General today saying this week it's going to get bad. Quote, we really, really need everyone to stay home, the Surgeon General pleading with Americans. About a third of Americans are under some version of a stay-at-home order right now put in place by state or, state or local governments. Here in Washington, D.C. in the last hour, the Senate just failed a second time to clear a key procedural vote as Democrats and Republicans remain in a standoff over a near, nearly $2 trillion stimulus package to help American workers and businesses with the economic pain caused by this pandemic. Senate Democrats voting almost in lockstep at this hour against proceeding on debate over the package. In New York today, Governor Andrew Cuomo ordering all hospitals to increase their capacity by at least 50 percent. CNN Shimon Prokopes is in New York City at the Javits Center, where they're setting up a makeshift hospital. Shimon, many hospitals are already overwhelmed. How are the facilities handling this influx? Yeah, they are overwhelmed in some cases. And that is why, as you said, the governor has ordered this directive, really, for the hospitals to increase their capacity by 50%. Uh, Here at the Jacob Javits Center, we've heard a lot about it. This is going to be one of the sites uh, where they're going to set up a hospital, a thousand beds. Uh, We have seen uh, them roll equipment in here. Uh, Today, you can see there are ventilators. uh, There are these trucks uh, that you just see there. They're the ones that are unloading some of these items. We have ventilators here. There are beds, uh, all sorts of equipment. We're even seeing some of the PPE equipment. That is here uh, as well. The hopes is to set this up. It's going to take several days, Jake, uh, for the FEMA and the Army Corps of engineer to, Engineers to set this up. But this is going to be able to handle uh, a 1,000 patients. And this is just one of uh, the places that the governor is hoping uh, will be able to take uh, this influx uh, of patients uh, that they accept, expect because of uh, this virus. Now, they're expected to work here through the night uh, and for days setting this up. The actual hospital, the floor, is going to be about two floors above me on the third floor inside the Javits Center where they're going to be treating patients. There's going to be healthcare professionals, doctors, and nurses, and they're going to be here and they're going to be treating people to try and alleviate some of the pressure that the hospitals are going to be facing, Jake. And Shimon, in New York, um, 53%, more than half of the coronavirus cases, are among young adults, ages 18 to 49. That's a statistic that alarmed even the U.S. Surgeon General. Yeah, it did alarm uh, him, and it's alarmed other doctors and a lot of the officials who are following this, and now they're trying to figure out exactly the cause of this. You know, this whole notion that some of the younger people uh, can't get uh, hurt by this, uh, can't get sick by this, um, 
perhaps we're now seeing signs that that's not entirely the case. And so state officials, doctors are all trying to get the word out that no matter your age, you need to take this seriously. And certainly this statistic uh, that they put out today uh, is certainly concerning many of the doctors and officials here uh, in New York, Jake. A vote. Uh, thank you, Shimon Prokopes at the Javits Center. Thanks so much. A vote to inject $2 trillion into the coronavirus crisis uh, just failed as Senate Republicans and Democrats are now accusing the other side of adding unnecessary items to the stimulus package. Republicans trying to renew abstinence education, Democrats say. Democrats attempting to expand wind and solar tax credits, Republicans say. The bill could provide a $2,400 direct payment to some families, $350 billion worth of small business loans, and $11 billion towards vaccine research, among other expenditures. CNN's Manu Raj, who's on Capitol Hill. Manu, start with Republicans. Uh, what are their issues with what Democrats want in the bill? Well, Republicans are saying that Democrats are asking for a whole host of issues that have nothing to do with fighting the coronavirus. They're saying there's been a big push for increased collective bargaining rights uh, for unions. They're arguing that there's a big push for higher emission standards uh, for airlines. Of course, airlines are one of the hardest hit sectors. They're expected to get a big loan uh, from this uh, proposal that's under discussion right now and an expansion of wind and solar credits. Now, Democrats, on the other hand, say are pointing to a number of things that the Republicans are pushing that they believe are extraneous. And one of the things that they are in particularly talking about is how this money that would be sent out to industries, uh, roughly four $500 billion of sorts, would be structured and whether or not it would ensure that workers in particular uh, could keep their job. For one instance, they say that the language that's provided to these industries uh, it says that they, these companies, if they do get the federal loans, they must keep their employees to the extent possible. So essentially, they're saying that some of these workers could ultimately get laid off. They're also saying that there aren't enough to restrictions on the and, and executives in buying back uh, in corporations and buying back stock if they were to get loans, and as well as for executives and getting executive compensation if their companies do get uh, federal loans. There's a two-year limit on that. But, Jake, all of this is still being negotiated behind the scenes. Intense discussions are underway, and there is still an expectation that a bipartisan deal could be reached in the Senate as soon as tonight. So we'll see how these, uh, these, these provisions ultimately play out, Jake. And Manu Raju, uh, Senate Republican Rand Paul uh, is not at the Senate. He has a confirmed case of coronavirus. Uh, others in self-quarantine because they were exposed to Paul or to others with the virus include Republican Senators Mike Lee, Mitt Romney, Lindsey Graham, Cory Gardner, Rick Scott. Um, that's a lot of senators out uh, in, uh, you know, in a, in a five, five or six vote margin. It, will this impact whether or not Republicans even have a majority? Well, it will require... Uh Republicans to get even more Democratic support to move forward. But the reality of the situation is if they do have enough support to move forward, expect an overwhelming majority of senators to get behind this proposal. That's why it's everyone's watching whether or not Chuck Schumer, Stephen Mnuchin can get a deal. And right now they're having discussions along with Mitch McConnell. If they do all get together, expect that vote to be overwhelming, Jake. All right, Manu Raju, thank you so much. Uh, joining me now is Democratic Senator Chris Murphy uh, of Connecticut. Senator, thanks so much. Uh, for joining me. Um, so you voted against advancing the stimulus bill. You've done this twice now. Um, your fellow Democrat, Doug Jones from Alabama, he voted to advance it. He voted the opposite way. He told CNN he's embarrassed by the political games that both sides are playing. What's your response to your fellow Democrat? 
Well, right now, the McConnell bill just doesn't solve the problem. Uh, and ultimately, we need a bill that is going to stop this virus in its tracks. We don't need a bill that is going to provide no strings attached bailouts to corporations who are just going to take the money and lay off their workers anyway. Uh, this is $2 trillion, uh, Jake. This is one t- this is 10% of the total GDP of the country. We should spend it right, and we should make sure that it actually gets relief to hospitals, and nursing homes and states that are on the front lines. So we don't have a bill right now that actually solves the problem, which is a public health crisis that's creating an economic crisis. And so we should spend the next couple hours making sure that we get it right, not pass a bill that pads the pockets of corporations and doesn't actually address the public health crisis. Well, look, I certainly understand Democrats wanting to make sure that any company getting uh, billions from the federal government or millions from the federal government uh, that, 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 they, uh, that those companies um, uh, have to keep workers on board as much as humanly possible. Um, but I guess the question I have is, you describe it as a bailout. A bailout is when uh, an industry screws up, makes mistakes, does things wrong, and needs rescuing. These corporations, whatever you think of them, they're responding to a pandemic. They, they haven't done anything wrong. Well, in the case of the airline industry, for the last 20 years, they were using all their available cash in order to pad investor and CEO salaries instead of building a rainy day fund. And so we got to make sure that they don't take this money and use it to further pad CEO salaries and investor paychecks. That would be a dereliction of duty. But the problem is not just on the business side of the ledger here. The problem also is that this bill doesn't actually have enough funding to stop the virus. And my worry is that Republicans see this as an economic problem, not as a public health problem. There's no amount of stimulus that you can give to families or businesses that will get the job done if you don't stop the virus. And this bill just shortchanges states and municipalities and hospitals and doesn't address the public health crisis. We need to get that right first and foremost. Mitch McConnell says uh, Democrats are making uh, 11th hour demands, including a tax credit for solar panels, uh, collective bargaining rights. And and that's what's uh, some of the some of the sticking points. Why would Democrats be pushing a tax credit for solar panels or or collective bargaining rights? So, listen, my focus is on making sure that uh, hospitals and states have what they need, that we don't do any of these no strings attached bailouts. Uh, That's where my focus is. And if that uh, if those demands are met, then I will vote to proceed on this legislation. I want you to take a listen to what Democratic Minority Leader Chuck Schumer told Wolf Blitzer just a few days ago, just on Saturday. But actually, to my delight and surprise, there has been a great deal of bipartisan cooperation thus far. A great deal of bipartisan cooperation thus far from your leader, Chuck Schumer. Now Democrats are saying the opposite, no bipartisan cooperation. So what happened here is that Republicans wrote their own bill, then they brought Democrats into the room, and there were good faith negotiations that were occurring for about a half a day, uh, Senator Schumer remarked on those negotiations. And then late on Saturday night, Democrats were kicked out of the room, and Republicans wrote the bill on their own. We only got a copy of it Sunday morning from lobbyists on K Street. It was shared with corporate lobbyists before it was shared with members of the Democratic caucus. And that, to us, was a sign that the priority here was in helping corporations, not helping 
cotton workers in, in solving the virus. So there was a brief period of time where Democrats and Republicans were in the room working together. And now we are doing that again. So we are working, Republicans and Democrats, to try to bridge the differences that exist here. I think we can do that, and I think that we can probably do that by the end of the day. Would you agree? I mean, you, you kind of skirted the question, but would you agree that matters like uh, solar panel tax credits and collective bargaining rights, while I understand are important to Democrats, like it's not worth holding up this bill? So I I don't know where those reports come from. I've told you what my priorities are. My priorities are making sure that my taxpayer dollars aren't going to to pad CEO salaries and that the public health crisis is identified. Those are my priorities. I don't know about that reporting. Tell us about um, the legislation you're introducing that would force President Trump to federalize the medical supply chain in the U.S. and also to use his powers under, under the Defense Production Act. So right now we have a Lord of the Flies situation happening with the medical supply chain. Um, We don't have enough personal protective equipment and ventilators being produced, but we also have a situation where there are incentives for for hoarding and price gouging because every single state and thousands of hospitals are trying to go out and source this scarce equipment wherever they can. Um, Governor Cuomo called for the federalization of the critical medical supply chain, I agree, and so do several of my colleagues. We've introduced legislation that would temporarily federalize not just the manufacture of this critical medical supplies, but also the distribution so that we can make sure that it gets into the hands of the people that need it most, not the people who are willing to pay the most or the people who are creative enough to find some manufacturer in a corner of their state that's willing to supply them. Um, This is a time where the private market um, builds in inefficiencies that will cost lives. And so we need a temporary federalization of the critical medical supply chain. Our legislation introduced in the House and the Senate this afternoon will do that. Yeah. When you when you say Lord of the Flies, I know a lot of governors find themselves competing for bids with other governors, which just drives up the price and doesn't solve the problem. Senator Chris Murphy, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Good luck uh, getting that bill passed. Uh, The American people wants Democrats, wants Republicans to come together to fix this problem uh, and and do so in a way that helps the suffering American workers. So appreciate your time. Scientists are looking at nearly 70 different drugs trying to find some sort of treatment for coronavirus. Will any of them work? We'll talk to a medical expert. Plus, is there another way One theory on how to slow the spread of the virus while still getting people back to work. Stay with us. Scientists have identified nearly 70 drugs that they believe could possibly help treat coronavirus, according to a new study first reported by The New York Times. Now, some of the drugs are already used to treat other diseases and repurposing them may be faster than trying to reinvent a new drug. Joining me now to discuss this and other coronavirus-related matters, Dr. Amy Compton-Phillips, the chief clinical officer at Providence St. Joseph Health. Uh, Dr. Compton-Phillips, as always, thank you so much. President Trump's been touting a combination of two drugs uh, that he says could help treat the coronavirus. One is an anti-malaria drug, hydro- uh, hydroxychloroquine, and the other is an antibiotic called azithromycin. Uh, they're not FDA-approved for coronavirus Are they safe? What's your message to people out there who might have coronavirus and are looking for something to treat it? Yeah, what a great question, Jake. I think what's critical for us in this crisis is to depend on the same tools that's allowed medicine to progress so far over the past century. And that's depending on science and data for us to do things well. So there's three major categories that we're looking for therapeutics in for coronavirus. 
One is for a vaccine, and that's to prevent the virus. Um, the second is an antiviral treatment and saying, how do we actually stop the virus, like uh, kill the virus itself, like antibiotics kill bacteria? And the third is in um, immune modulators, so preventing the body's overreaction to the virus. And so it's somewhere in those latter two categories that the hydroxychloroquine and the azithromycin could potentially work in, in not only potentially having some antiviral activity, but also stopping something that we call cytokine storm or the body's overreaction to the virus itself. Mm -hmm. So what should people do? I mean, they hear the president continuing to tout this. Dr. Fauci is constantly cautioning uh, that there is no um, comprehensive peer-reviewed clinical trial of this. There's anecdotal evidence that it might work in some people or had worked in France with some people, but a very small sample group, not enough uh, to approve it. Um, so what do you say to people out there? Because as you know, um, and I, you know, I know people who have coronavirus, as I'm sure you do, and there's no treatment, right? I mean, if you're not hospitalized and, and that you want to avoid being hospitalized, because that means you're really, really sick and, and uh, you're lucky enough to not have to go to the hospital, you're at home, there really isn't anything to do other than Tylenol and fluids and keep eating to keep your strength up. Well, let me get back to what you can do at home um, after this. But, but the reason why we no longer sell, you know, snake oil um, to people is because we've used the scientific method over the years of saying, let's actually study this and figure out what works rather than relying on anecdotes and ideas. Instead, let's actually identify that. And that's what Dr. Fauci is talking about with those peer-reviewed trials. Um, there are downsides. So, so there's potential benefit to using hydroxychloroquine and, and azithromycin, um, but the potential downsides, for example, together that combination can be hard on the heart. It can prolong something um, that, that makes the electrical system of the heart go off kilter. And we don't want to be causing harm to people right. by potentially causing heart rhythm trouble while we're busy trying to cure their infection. Now, what about the home treatments? You wanted to talk about that for people who are sick at home who have yeah. not yet experienced. If you have shortness of breath, if you have this and you have shortness of breath, you should go to the hospital. If you are so weak, you can't even get out of bed. You should go to the hospital um, and you should no matter what, if you have it, be in touch with your primary care physician or the emergency room, etc. That said, if you're one of these people who are not sick enough to go to the hospital, what should you be doing? Yeah, um, so there's a couple things. One is you can use in something that's completely different now in the 21st century that was, wasn't even true 20 years ago is now there's telehealth, right? And so you can actually be in contact with caregivers via your phone or your computer or via, you know, some FaceTime style app um, so that you can actually get some virtual health and, and not have to bring you and your germs um, and your feeling miserable self into the emergency room. The other thing that we can do these days is actually have sensors at home so that you can monitor heart rate, you can monitor oxygen levels, you can monitor temperature um, by banks of nurses watching you from outside your footprint so that you can actually have eyes on you without having you taking up a hospital bed that might be needed, as you were hearing in that previous segment, for somebody who needs a ventilator in the future, which you can't do a ventilator at home right now. So, so trying to figure out how we leverage technology today to care for people in a, in a really different way is not only going to help us get through this crisis, but I think after this crisis is over is really going to fundamentally change the way we practice medicine here in the U.S. All right, Dr. Amy, Amy Compton-Phillips, we always appreciate your expertise and your time. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much, Dave. How long will this social distancing last? Sources tell CNN that President Trump is getting somewhat antsy. He wants to start getting back to a sense of normal soon, but health experts are not in agreement. Stay with us. We're back with our health lead in a new debate spilling out into the public from the White House on whether social distancing guidelines are worth the economic pain. Aides telling CNN that President Trump and some of his top economic officials are growing more and more anxious as the initial 15-day period continues. They want people to go back to work in a matter of days, despite warnings from top health officials that that may be premature and actually cause more deaths. CNN's Caitlin Collins is live at the White House. And Caitlin, we just heard from the president's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. He seemed to confirm uh, that they're considering sending people back to work. Yeah, he was backing up what the president said this morning, talking about, you know, we don't want the cure to be worse than the problem itself. And this is one of the president's closest top economic advisors. And listen to how Larry Kudlow answered this question about whether or not they really are considering easing these guidelines they put in place just a week ago. We can't shut in the economy. The economic cost to individuals is just too great. So let's see how this thing plays out. More testing is essential, and we're loading up with tests now. That's going to be a big help. But the president is right. The cure can't be worse than the disease, and we're going to have to make some difficult trade-offs. You notice there, Jake, he doesn't say exactly what he believes those difficult trade-offs are going to be. But what you're seeing is this split on the president's coronavirus task force team between the economic advisors and the doctors and the scientists. You see people like Kudlow, the Treasury Secretary, other officials telling the president, you know, that having stores and restaurants and gyms closed like this is just having too great of an impact on the economy. They want to figure out a way to get younger people who they believe are not as much of at risk for this disease to be able to go back to work. But then you have the Dr. Fauci, the Dr. Burks, these other doctors on the team who are saying, if you let people go back to work too early, if you ease these restrictions too soon, it is not only going to A, not help contain the spread of this virus, but B, it's also going to devastate our healthcare system when all of these people are having to go in and go to the hospitals and get treatment because their conditions are so severe. So it is the split, Jake. There is a question of, you know, which side is going to win here. Right now, the indication is that the president is favoring easing these guidelines, but whether or not people like Senator Lindsey Graham people who are saying, you know, the economy is not going to matter if the virus spreads and it's uncontrollable at this point. Whether or not those people are able to get through to him is the question at this point. All right, Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Joining me now to discuss this is New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, who's out with a new piece titled A Plan to Get America Back to Work. Um, Mr. Friedman, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. You've been studying different options for how to help restart the economy. You feel like you've landed on one that that would mean instead of these statewide uh, stay-at-home orders, only certain groups of people would be restricted. How would that work and when would it happen? Well, Jake, um, this is a proposal by Dr. David Katz, and it's actually a very tiered proposal, which um, Larry Kudlow, who actually told us two weeks ago the disease had been contained, so I think no one should be listening to him. The idea that he's out telling anyone anything is appalling to me. Larry Kudlow and the president have clearly mangled. So let me walk through with you what I wrote in my column, what Dr. Katz was proposing. It's a, it's a tiered plan. It begins, first of all, with radical social distancing and sheltering in place, okay? He was proposing a 14-day period because the disease usually manifests uh, within 5 to 12 days, so you know whether you've got it. After that, or along with it, dramatic testing wherever we can so we can determine the gross number of people actually have, best as we can, the gross number of people who are afflicted with coronavirus and how many are suffering 
uh, uh, just a little, how many a lot, and how many are tragically dying. If it turns out that um, the statistics that have been emerging from China, South Korea, uh, Japan, Hong Kong are correct, that about, you know, maybe less than 1% actually die from the disease, this many are, are seriously afflicted, then we can begin to do what uh, uh, kind of a vertical process where we protect those who are most likely uh, to be die from the disease, those 70, uh, 60, uh, and, and those with weak uh, I- immune systems. And then we can gradually, once we've actually kept people inside for 14 days and see who doesn't have it, gradually fold them back into the economy and get them working again, while also constantly testing. The beauty of his plan, as I see it, Jake, is that what's totally missing in the country right now mm-hmm. is any sense that we have a The president went from it's a hoax uh, to it's a war to uh, I don't really want to fight this war. I want to get the economy back. And people, what, what, what business leaders are looking for, not to mention average citizens, is tell me, just tell me you have a plan. Tell me if I need a shelter in place for a week, two weeks, whatever. Tell me you have a plan. And that's what's been missing here. We keep bouncing around. And I believe what Dr. Katz has offered is is one plan. I'm not a a medical expert. I'd love to hear from others. But it seems to me this is where the discussion should be going. And Governor Cuomo this morning uh, really endorsed this approach and uh, uh, I think tried to give it a lot more publicity. So maybe someone in the White House will be listening. So it's interesting because it's it, it's it very different from what we're hearing floated from people close to the president, which is more of just in two weeks or in one week at this point, just try to go back to normal. This actually would impose a stricter stay at home quarantine order for two weeks to really try to stop the disease from spreading at all. Then exactly. aggressive testing, which also does not, I mean, testing has increased a lot, but you're, you and Dr. Katz are talking about much more aggressive testing so people really have an idea where this disease is, and then talking about trying to get to some semblance Folding of people back. Yeah. Exactly. Folding people back once we know from the testing, okay, um, this number of young people actually can be uh, severely impacted by the disease. The vast majority not. Do we know that? We're still not quite sure. Um, this many older people, this many very older people. Once we know that, and once we also kept people inside for 14 days and have a better grasp, again, 14 days, we don't know for sure either. Uh, we can begin then folding people back into the economy, accompanied with more and more testing and temperature taking. So we really are doing it on the basis of science uh, and a real strategy, rather than the president reading a column in the morning or a story and saying, yeah, I, I don't want to be uh, locking up the economy much anymore. That's how I feel today when I felt something different yesterday. That's crazy. And the idea that you have the national economic advisor uh, giving medical directives and advice about the economy uh, is insane. OK, and, and that's what we got. What, 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 what is killing business in this country, Jake, and what's killing just the average person emotionally is they want to, they, they don't feel that there's a plan, that there's an end date, there's a strategy. That is what leadership is about, and that has been the, the real failure of this administration. And just lastly, I, I just want to make sure, and I think you've made the point very well, but if President Trump were just to, in a week or two, just say, okay, we're lifting these orders and everybody should go back to work, you, you think that would be a disaster? I think that would complete, if you do that on the basis of no data, I'm not on the basis of science. Um, uh, I, I, from everything I have heard from doctors, you overwhelm the hospital system. Um, and then you really set us back. And by the way, there's stories just beginning to emerge from Italy that their radical 
social distancing and sheltering in place may be working. All right, Thomas Friedman, always good to have you on. Thank you so much for your, for your time. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Democrats voting almost in lockstep against moving forward on the economic package, $2 trillion to help rescue the American economy. We're going to talk to the lone Democratic senator who broke ranks and voted to proceed. That's next. Stay with us. back with the breaking news. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer telling CNN's Manu Raju that he is meeting with Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin right now in the hopes of striking a deal for the bailout package, uh, the economic injection into the economy. This comes after the Senate failed to advance that $2 trillion relief bill for coronavirus with all Democrats voting against it, except for one. Alabama Democratic Senator Doug Jones, who joins us now. Uh, Senator, you joined with Republicans today. Uh, you voted against the bill, debating it yesterday. Right. Why the change? Because I think there's been great progress, uh, Jake. That is exactly what the message has been from everybody on both sides. We've made progress. Uh, that was the message that I wanted to get yesterday because, quite frankly, I think we had had about a 24-hour period where there was no progress, where Senator McConnell pulled his people off to write a bill. And there was very little progress taking place in the 24 hours before. But there has been significant progress in the last 24 hour, uh, hours. Everybody recognizes that and everybody believes they're going to get it done. I believe that we needed to really send a message to the American people and to both sides of the aisle that the clock is ticking, that we need to get this done and we need to get it done now. And the best way to do that is to proceed. And just to be clear, this is just a vote that would allow debate on the bill. There would be 30 hours of debate and additions and subtractions. So are your fellow Democrats just playing political games? No, I don't think that that the Democrats are playing games at all any more than Senator McConnell is playing political games. We shouldn't have taken this vote, uh, Jake. Everybody knew this vote was going to fail. They should have just stayed behind closed doors and continue to work until we have a deal. Because when we have a deal, you're going to get overwhelming Republican and Democratic support. And it's going to we're going to waive a lot of the procedural rules. We're not going to have 30 hours of debate if we can get this deal done. We're going to get it done. We're going to send it to the House and hope they can get it done quickly and get it to the president's desk. This is just not the way the Senate is supposed to operate. I mean, we should not be uh, doing things like this and taking these silly votes that are going to fail. We need to continue to work. And, And by the way, you know, the other thing, the biggest complaint I've got, no one should see my vote today on a motion to proceed saying we've got great progress. No one should see that as a vote uh, of yes on a final package. We, the problem is we don't know what it's looking at. We're wanting to proceed on something we don't even know what it is. It's, it's just games on both sides right now, to be honest with you. Well, that's, what you, and that's my point. I mean, you said Democrats aren't playing games any more than Mitch McConnell is, but then you described ways in which you think Mitch McConnell's playing games. So games on both sides. L- let's move yes. into the substance of the bill. Your fellow Democratic Senator Chris Murphy said that the bill as it stands right now would bail out corporations and not solve the public health c- crisis going on. Is he wrong? I I think that there is more money that is being put. As I understand it, more money will be being put into the public health crisis. I think it's the bill that was originally done on Friday would not have solved the public health crisis. I don't think it's solving that. I don't think it's helping city and state governments. Republicans seem to be pushing on back on that, something I've really, really been pushing on. The biggest problem that we're seeing, and I see this as a huge problem, is a $500 billion fund that will go to the Secretary of the Treasury to basically do what the heck he wants to with it without even notifying or telling anybody or having any transparency. 
I think we're making progress on getting more money to hospitals and health care providers. I think we're making progress on getting funds to local governments because they're hemorrhaging right now. They are on the front lines. They are bleeding just like businesses that we've got to do something with. And I think we hopefully are going to be making progress on some transparency of $500 billion of taxpayer money and how it will be spent. What do you say to the American people who are watching this all play out and say, they think to themselves, even in a pandemic, with, I, with the death toll is basically doubling every two days, Congress can't get its act together. I, I tell them to go to the window and pull an old Howard Bill from the movie Network and scream, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. we got to get this thing done. we got to make sure that both sides of the aisle come together. And they are coming together. I don't want there to be any misconception with these games that are being played with votes back and forth. There is a lot of work going on and a lot of progress is being made. We are behind the curve on that progress because it was done so much behind closed doors for the first week that we were here for the first four or five days. I really believe on everything I'm hearing, and I just got some emails as I was sitting here waiting on you, that great progress is being made. We just need to get it done, and we need to get a bill on the floor that we can get 80, 90, or 100 votes on, and let's get on and get it to the House and get it signed by the president. All right, there are a lot of people hurting out there, as I know you know. Uh, Democratic Senator Doug Jones of Alabama, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Jay. While the Senate remains at a stalemate right now, the Federal Reserve is trying to make a major move to try to help the U.S. economy. As one Fed official warns, unemployment could hit 30 percent. Our money lead now, an unprecedented attempt by the Federal Reserve to rescue the U.S. economy in the wake of the coronavirus crisis. But with just minutes left in trading today, Wall Street is in the red. More businesses are announcing layoffs and unemployment claims are expected to skyrocket. I want to bring in CNN's Julia Chatterley, our business anchor. And Julia, exactly how did the Fed try to help today? We often talk about a bazooka, Jake, when we're talking about the Federal Reserve. I can tell you that this was cannons, cavalry, bazookas. This was unprecedented. They basically said that they will do whatever it takes to bring borrowing costs down for corporates, for municipalities, for the government itself. But they also announced all sorts of lending measures for big employers, for small and medium-sized enterprises. They said, look, we'll do whatever we can to give an insurance policy here to the U.S. economy. The problem is we don't know the terms and conditions yet. And we're waiting for the um, for Congress, for the Senate to agree on this package to see what the terms and conditions are. So that's going to be key. If these emergency actions by the Fed are so impressive, Julia, why are stocks still falling? I mean, the Senate will come up with some sort of compromise. That's a great question. So, yes, we're still waiting for the Senate, which is a crucial part of this. But a lot of the measures so far have simply been focused on the financial sector and the the real tensions that we're seeing there. But there's other things, Jake. This is just one of four or five crises. We're not on top of the health crisis, clearly. Doctor after doctor tells us this. We've got the ongoing economic crisis and the economic sleep that the country's in. And we've got the brewing jobs crisis, which even now we don't have a handle on just how bad this is going to get. The president of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis predicted that unemployment in the U.S. will soon hit 30 percent. We might be starting to see that cascade. Just today, GE announced it's reducing 10% of its U.S. aviation division. Ford suspending work at four more production plants. Bed Bath and Beyond temporary closing all of its stores. Zillow pausing its home buying program. These are big brand names impacting thousands of jobs. Um, how hard will it be for these companies to, to come back? 
critical question. And Jake, it depends how long this economic sleep goes on. And, you know, I can tell you, and you've been talking about it throughout the last hour, there is an evolving conversation that perhaps the economic measures that are being taken here with the, the economic shutdown is imperiling more lives than the focus and the lives that we're trying to save in the health crisis. It's a it's a painful conversation. But, you know, I spoke to the um, St. Louis Fed president earlier today and I said, look, let's say the Senate agrees this stimulus. Given all the stuff that the, the Treasury and the Federal Reserve has done today, will it make a difference? And he didn't back away from that number. Mm. That's 47 million Americans, Jake, that could lose their jobs. Imagine the consequences of that. They need to agree this deal and get paychecks out ASAP. Julia Chatterley, thank you so much. We always appreciate it. The Dow is about to close. We're going to show you where it lands today. Plus, more than half the cases in New York are young people. What experts think might be behind that? That's next. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We are continuing this hour with our coverage of the coronavirus pandemic, a pandemic that the World Health Organization said today is not just continuing at the same rate as it is actually accelerating. The Dow closing in a moment down with Wall Street in its first day of electronic-only trading. The U.S. Surgeon General today warning, quote, this week it's going to get bad. And indeed, the coronavirus numbers in the U.S. continue to climb. Now more than 41,000 confirmed cases. That's up 10 times from the 4,000 cases last week. There's also been a huge surge in the number of deaths. That number is now 501. This time last Monday, 70. About half those cases are in New York. Dozens of people lined up outside one emergency room in New York City to be tested for the virus today. As U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper warns that while he wants to set up military field hospitals in hard-hit areas such as New York, the military cannot do everything. In New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio is warning if the city does not get more ventilators in the next 10 days, quote, People will die. It is not just the hot spots that are affected, of course. Official with the American Hospital Association tells CNN, quote, every hospital and every community is expecting shortages of critical supplies. As CNN's Nick Watt reports for us now, states nationwide are taking matters into their own hands. This massive Manhattan convention center about to be converted into four field hospitals, a thousand beds between them. We have not even begun to see the influx of patients. This is still the relative quiet before the storm. Every hospital in New York was just ordered to increase bed capacity by 50%. New York State, now home to around half the confirmed cases in this country, now more than 20,000. That's tripled in three days. And more than 150 have died already. If we don't get the ventilators in particular, uh, we will actually start to lose lives who could have been saved. The state says many cases are ages 18 to 49. Experts suggest vaping might be a factor. You can get it. The numbers show you can get it if you're a young person. And there is yet more conflicting messaging from the administration. Here's the Surgeon General on the Today Show. He strongly supports social distancing. I want America to understand this week it's going to get bad. It means everyone needs to be taking the right steps right now. And that means stay at home. But just last night, the president on Twitter suggesting strict rules on staying inside might be relaxed just a week from now. The restaurant and food industry alone estimates 7 million could lose their jobs. Jay Boken already has. People are 
not going to be able to support their families. And stay-at-home orders still spreading. Ohio, Louisiana, Connecticut, Indiana, West Virginia, and Michigan among the recent additions. But not everyone apparently taking social distancing seriously enough. We can't have the kind of social distancing that parts of Italy had, or we will turn into Italy with those case counts and those death rates. More than 6,000 have now died in Italy, among them more than 20 doctors. Here, thousands of retired healthcare workers now heeding the call to come back to work. I feel I have a moral obligation to share my skills. We can't imagine what it's going to be like a week or two from now. Disaster declarations declared now for New York, Washington State and California. FEMA working to bring an extra 5,000 hospital beds to those states. And Mercy, the Navy hospital ship with 800 personnel aboard, today setting sail for Los Angeles. And our thanks to Nick Watt for that report. Joining me now to discuss, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, a Republican. Governor, um, thanks so much for joining us. Today you announced that your state, Maryland, is going to close non-essential businesses starting at 5 p.m. But you're not ordering uh, a shelter in place uh, like your neighbors, Delaware and West Virginia, and at least 10 other states have done. Why not? Well, it really, it's, it's sort of semantics, Jake. I mean, certain states are taking different steps. Ours are somewhat more restrictive than many of the states that are calling it shelter in place. We, we've directed and, and strongly suggested that people stay in their homes unless they really need to leave for certain essential uh, purposes. But we've closed more businesses than many of those states that have so-called ordered shelter in place. But we've been one of the most aggressive states in the country, one of the first to call you know, declare a state of emergency, one of the first to close schools, one of the first to close bars and restaurants. And our actions to get today go pretty far. Um, I, I, we had 678% increase over the weekend in Maryland. We're taking many of the same steps that you're, you were just talking about in New York. We're adding 6,000 hospital beds. We've got FEMA opening up a 250-bed uh, hospital in our convention center in Baltimore. Um, and we're doing everything we can to not only take steps on social distancing, uh, but to really ramp up and, and, and deal with this massive crisis we're going to have with providing uh, health care to all of these folks. And uh, we're also trying to address the, the impact of the economy that you were just talking about. Uh, so we announced a number of steps today to help our small businesses and those uh, people who are losing their jobs, which is kind of a dual uh, attack at the same time. How do we save lives and how do we also uh, help people economically? Right. Maryland has had, I, I believe these numbers are the latest, 288 confirmed cases of coronavirus, uh, and three Marylanders have, have tragically died. Um, do you think that by not ordering a shelter in place, even though you are taking other very aggressive measures, um, that there might be Marylanders who are not getting the message, perhaps, uh, in terms of the direction that you just gave, which is please stay at home? Yeah, so actually, as I said, we're, our closing of all those essential businesses actually goes further than many of the states right. that said that they were, they were sheltering in place, but they're still making people go to work, and they still have businesses open. So we just believe that the actions we're taking are going to be more effective. Okay. We're also, uh, we have a, 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 a we have, we have state, you can't have gatherings of more than 10 people in one place, and we have uh, directed today all of our state and local law enforcement to actually get out there and start Make it, not, not arresting people, but messaging to people that they've got to disperse those crowds, which I think we're a first state to do that. We're going to start making people break up these large gatherings that we've seen, as you've seen 
on the reports all across the country. All across, so I'm yeah. the chairman of the National Governors Association, and mm -hmm. we had uh, we had another meeting this afternoon just before I went on the air with you, with the vice president and 52 governors, uh, talking about all these uh, issues and what's what individual states uh, are, are doing as they see fit in their individual states. And we continue to hear reports from hospitals. And what kind of help we need from the federal government. Yeah, well, speaking of that, we continue Sorry. to hear reports from hospitals, from healthcare professions, people on the front lines. They need more masks. They need ventilators. They need ICU beds and so yeah. on. Is Maryland getting, are you getting what you need from the federal government? Well, no, nobody's getting what they need, um, and that's one of the things we keep talking about. Now, here's the good, the good news is, that's the bad news, and I, I, you know, we can all talk about what hasn't happened, and we all, you know, we've heard about it over and over again. Um, we're, no state in America has enough masks or ventilators or any of the PPE that, that, we're, we're, that we're all desperately needing. We're all trying to address that in our individual states, and we're also pushing as hard as we can at the federal level. They have made some progress. The private sector is ramping up. Uh, FEMA is starting to deliver some of those supplies out to the states, and each of us are, are making these decisions on our own to ramp up production in our own states and to get things on the open market. But it's, it's not a great situation. Uh, but I can tell you we are making some progress, but that's going to be a, continue to be a pinch point where uh, we don't have enough to, to uh, handle the surge, which is why we're doing all these other things to try to lower the demand. We can't have all these people uh, getting sick at the same time and crowding our hospitals. And one of the things I've heard is a problem, I heard this from um, Governor Pritzker of Illinois, is that because there isn't like one national uh, centralized individual or organization trying to get uh, masks, ventilators, PPE, ICU beds, et cetera, for the states, uh, you're all competing with each other. You're bidding against Illinois, who's bidding against New York, who's bidding against California, driving up the prices and not solving the problem. Um, I think Senator Murphy referred to it as a, a Lord of the Flies situation. Is that a problem you're having? I think it's 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 a little bit of a problem, but look, I think FEMA just as of Thursday or Friday, they made the decision that FEMA was going to take the lead at the federal level and and is trying to coordinate those things and drive them out. So it's that's progress from where we were before, uh, but also having the states having the flexibility to be able to go outside that process and and get some of the things that we need individually is not such a bad idea. I, I kind of agree with both sides of on the <laughs> argument of this. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, we should be doing a better job at the federal level. Yes, they should be getting the stuff out to us, but the states have been able to go out and get things on our own, and we, we should be able to have that flexibility as well. So I, I kind of agree with both sides of the argument. And look, I, I, it doesn't matter who is responsible or should be responsible or who should have done what. Uh, we're all just going to do everything it, it takes at the federal, state, and local level to take action right now to try to you know keep people safe and to save people's lives. Right now, if we could snap our fingers and have uh, everything we want, um, theoretically, health officials say they would want everyone to stay in place where they are, freeze where they are, uh, and then do widespread testing to find out where the disease is, where the virus is, and then isolate those individuals. What is the state of testing in Maryland right now? I know that there are more tests now than there were two weeks ago, even one week ago. Uh, how efficient is it right now? How much are you able to get a, a hold on what the problem actually is in Maryland? So it's not nearly enough uh, in Maryland, just like it isn't anywhere else. But we're up uh, more than 500 percent of where we were just a few days ago. So we're, we're rapidly escalating the amount of tests. We've, we've, we've got uh, private labs here in Maryland that are 
that are uh, increasing the lab capacity. I think we just today got, uh, just announced that we've got another thousand tests coming in from a Chinese company. We have Johns Hopkins in Maryland that's doing their own testing. We were one of the first states in the country to get approved. And we I signed an executive order today uh, to expedite the approval of labs so we can go around the federal process, not wait for the FDA, and to just get our own testing moving forward. And we got some additional tests in uh, through FEMA from the federal government. So. Um, while it's still not great, um, it's uh, it's progress, and we're um, we're far far ahead of where we were, say, last Thursday or Friday. And what about school kids in Maryland? What is the decision there? I believe some some schools have announced, uh, some states have announced that schools basically canceled till the end of the year. Some states are trying to do uh, remote learning. Uh, what's the situation in Maryland? Have you made a dis- have you made one uh, as for the end of this school year? Yeah, so I was the first or second governor in America to close all the schools statewide, and we're uh, in the process very quickly going to try to make that decision. We've we've met with all of our local school superintendents to try to make sure what capacity we have for the ability to provide distance learning and online learning for our kids, and we're going to try to figure that out based on all the best available evidence. Um, a few states have made the decision to cancel school for the rest of the year. We haven't made that yet for our K-12. through We have for all of our universities and colleges across the state. Governor Larry Hogan, uh, Republican, governor of the great state of Maryland, thank you for your time. Best of luck to you as you tackle this crisis. Thank you, Jake. Coming up next, Senate stalemate. What is holding up the nearly $2 trillion economic package? Plus, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson about to speak. Will he announce stricter new measures? Stay with us. In the race to save jobs and the U.S. economy, a $2 trillion stimulus package from Congress is stalled right now because of partisan bickering. The bill could provide $250 billion worth of direct payments to Americans, $350 billion in forgivable small business loans, and another possible $200 billion for the airline industry. But both Senate Republicans and Democrats are accusing each other of making outrageous additions, and Democrats have blocked any vote forward on the measure. CNN's Phil Mattingly is on Capitol Hill. Phil, what are the kinds of items both sides are, are trying to tack onto this bill? Yeah, Jake, keep in, keep in mind here, this is going to be the largest economic funding package in the history of the country, possibly up to $2 trillion, and that means a lot of extraneous stuff is going to be thrown into the mix. A senior Republican aide says Democrats propose things like expanded collective bargaining uh, opportunities for Democrats, uh, emissions for airlines as well, expansions of solar and wind tax credits, something Republicans are obviously deeply opposed to. Democrats countered that Republicans had extended fund, proposed extended funding for abstinence education. It also put a prohibition in small business administration loans for things like uh, disabled group homes uh, and rape crisis centers. It's a back and forth that underscores really the tensions that have almost taken over this process up to this point. Now, those smaller issues, which have really ramped everybody up, aren't the reason things are stalled right now. The real reason is that there are two issues Democrats are holding out on. The, they want more protections, more oversight for a $500 billion loan fund that would go out to larger distressed companies. They also want more money to be kicked out to states and local localities and cities. Those are the two key points of negotiation as it occurs right now. And as I speak, Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer is meeting with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. They still plan, they say, to have a deal today. They've been saying that, though, for several days, Jake. All right, Phil Manningly, thank you so much. President Trump's top economic advisor is warning today that U.S. government might have to make some difficult trade-off when it comes to balancing coronavirus restrictions and the survival of the U.S. economy left unstated. What exactly will we be trading off here for economic stability? Lives? 
Health? Whose? How many? As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, there's now growing debate in the White House about whether the president's social distancing guidelines to help save lives are worth the economic damage. One week after he told Americans to stay home and maintain distance for 15 days, President Trump is now considering easing his own guidelines amid growing concerns about the economic toll. The president tweeted he'll make a decision about whether to scale back in the coming days. But he made clear he's growing impatient with his own restrictions. We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself, he tweeted. The president was echoing what he heard on Fox News moments earlier, nearly verbatim. You know that famous phrase, the cure is worse than the disease? That is exactly the territory we are hurtling towards. The president's own health experts have said it's too soon to tell if the guidelines are effective. And social distancing is still crucial to curbing the spread of the virus. I think that there are a lot of people who are doing the right things. But I think that, unfortunately, we're finding out a lot of people think this can't happen to them. Trump's own allies are warning him not to ease up on the guidelines in hopes of boosting the economy. Senator Lindsey Graham tweeted, there is no functioning economy unless we control the virus. But the pundits appear to have gotten through to the president, according to his chief economic advisor. The president is right. The cure can't be worse than the disease. And we're going to have to make some difficult trade-offs. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Dr. Tony Fauci is the lead scientist on the president's task force. And in a new interview, he admits that statements Trump makes aren't always true or in line with his advice. Fauci told the journal Science, I can't jump in front of a microphone and push him down. Amid the eternal split over guidelines, officials are also divided over whether Trump should use his federal powers to require private companies to ramp up production of much-needed medical supplies. Though hospitals say they're in short supply, Trump hasn't used the Defense Production Act yet, despite his claim that he has. I have, yes, I have. The president is now telling aides he's under intense pressure from state officials like New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to put it to use. I think the, federal, the president should step it up. So, Jake, when it comes to the possibility of loosening those federal guidelines, basically it's a split between the economic advisors on the coronavirus task force and the doctors and the scientists who are advocating for stricter measures, not loosening them. But the vice president did say that any decisions they make about that is going to come at the end of that 15 day period. So that would put us about a week from today when we find out what they're going to do. All right, Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Uh, Amazon is hiring 100,000 new workers to tackle their unprecedented level of demand for supplies. The company is also raising wages for hourly employees to a minimum of $17 an hour. But what steps is the corporate giant taking to protect workers from contracting or spreading the coronavirus to those of us who order from Amazon? Joining me now is Jay Carney. He's Amazon Senior Vice President of Global Corporate Affairs. He also served as press secretary in the Obama administration. Jay, good to see you. Um, so let's start there. You've ordered masks for some employees um, they're being prioritized, of course, for healthcare workers, masks in this country. Um, so what steps are you taking to protect Amazon workers right now from being exposed? Thank you, Jake, for having me. The, the answer to that question is every step we can. We are uh, making sure that we practice social distancing in our fulfillment centers. Those are our logistics centers, our warehouses, uh, that every surface is deep cleaned regularly to protect our employees. We've ended uh, practices that involve the congregation of employees, regular meetings and the like, where many employees would gather together. Uh, and we are uh, asking every, any employee who doesn't feel well to go home uh, and any employee who either contracts 
COVID-19 and is, is diagnosed with it or is quarantined because a family member or someone else is diagnosed with it, they automatically get paid two, two weeks of paid time off to either take care of their family member or take care of themselves. So we're, we're meeting every day. We're consulting with uh, medical experts to get uh, the best possible information we can uh, to make sure that we're doing the right thing by our employees so that they can turn around and deliver essential goods to millions of Americans around the country and, and millions of people around the world. Is Amazon going to guarantee that any one of your employees who, who actually contracts the coronavirus um, not only gets two weeks of paid leave, uh, but gets as much paid leave as he or she needs and also uh, the proper treatment paid for? Well, first of all, let me just uh, say that we already meet every standard that uh, in every state where we do business when it comes to paid time uh, off. And we've added additional paid leave off because of COVID. All of our full-time employees get the same health care benefits that our senior executives get, including starting hourly workers uh, tomorrow. They'll get the same health care benefits that I get, the same uh, time off that, that, that I get. So uh, we've never had tiered systems of benefits. So uh, we're, we're, conf we're confident that with the extra measures we're taking, uh, that our employees will get the time off they need. They will get the support they need from Amazon uh, if they do contract uh, COVID. And then for our customers, we're making sure we move quickly. Quickly. We did have a, uh, uh, an employee in a, in a distribution center in New York uh, be diagnosed with COVID. Uh, that facility was immediately shut down, immediately deep cleaned uh, and before it was reopened. And that employee is now quarantined and taking care of himself. Yeah, let's turn to, to the people who receive uh, packages from Amazon, which include uh, me uh, and my family and probably a lot of viewers, if not all of them. Um, what are you doing to make sure that your company is not bringing coronavirus into people's homes. There are studies suggesting that the virus can remain and live on cardboard, uh, like your boxes, for 24 hours. What do you suggest people do? Should people leave the boxes outside their homes and open them with gloves? What steps are you taking there? Well, we are learning as we go, like everyone, and, and we're consulting uh, with uh, medical experts to get the best information we can. There is that uh, evidence that uh, that the virus can live on packaging uh, for some period of time. Uh, so far, I believe the WHO and C, uh, CDC have not said that there's a case of transmission from packaging. However, I, you know, our, our advice to customers is to take the precautions that they feel are the right ones for them. Wipe down packages with uh, disinfectant. Leave them outside or in a remote place uh, for a period of time uh, if they're concerned about the possibility of transmission. We understand that uh, the last thing we want to do when we're providing uh, household goods and other things that we're prioritizing, like medical supplies to our customers, that we don't want to inadvertently participate in the transmission of this virus. And you also do uh, home delivery of food, uh, Amazon, through Whole Foods. Um, what steps are you taking there? Very similar in terms of uh, you know, maintaining uh, all, uh, all of the guidelines that uh, CDC and WHO have, have sent out about social distancing, about protective gear. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, what I'm advising customers of our, our food delivery as well as our product delivery is uh, to, to wipe down packaging if they feel uh, that uh, they're concerned that it might be uh, transmitting anything. Again, we haven't seen that evidence yet, but, but this is a moving picture and we're, we're following it closely. Jay Carney, Amazon, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Good luck as you try to... Help us all with this crisis. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. We're about to hear from British Prime Minister Boris Johnson speaking from Downing Street. What will he announce? Stay with us. 
breaking news any minute. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is going to give an address about the coronavirus outbreak in his country. I want to bring in CNN International. Uh, let's listen in. For decades. And this country is not alone. All over the world, we're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. And so tonight, I want to update you on the latest steps we're taking to fight the disease and what you can do to help. And I want to begin by reminding you why the UK has been taking the approach that we have. Without a huge national effort to halt the growth of this virus, there will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. And as we've seen elsewhere in other countries that also have fantastic healthcare systems, that is the moment of real danger. To put it simply, if too many people become seriously unwell at one time, the NHS will be unable to handle it, meaning more people are likely to die, not just from coronavirus, but from other illnesses as well. So it's vital to slow the spread of the disease, because that is the way we reduce the number of people needing hospital treatment at any one time, so we can protect the NHS's ability to cope, and save more lives. And that's why we've been asking people to stay at home during this pandemic. And though huge numbers are complying, and I thank you all, the time has now come for us all to do more. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Because the critical thing we must do to stop the disease spreading between households. That is why people will only be allowed to leave their home for the following very limited purposes. Shopping for basic necessities as infrequently as possible. One form of exercise a day, for example, a run, walk or cycle, alone or with members of your household. Any medical need to provide care or to help a vulnerable person. And travelling to and from work but only where this is absolutely necessary and cannot be done from home. That's all. These are the only reasons you should leave your home. You should not be meeting friends. If your friends ask you to meet, you should say no. You should not be meeting family members who do not live in your home. You should not be going shopping except for essentials like food and medicine. And you should do this as little as you can. And use food delivery services where you can. If you don't follow the rules, the police will have the powers to enforce them, including through fines and dispersing gatherings. To ensure compliance with the government's instruction to stay at home, we will immediately close all shops selling non-essential goods, including clothing and electronic stores and other premises, including libraries, playgrounds and outdoor gyms and places of worship, will stop all gatherings of more than two people in public, excluding people you live with, and will stop all social events, including weddings, baptisms and other ceremonies, but excluding funerals. Parks will remain open for exercise, but gatherings will be dispersed. No Prime Minister wants to enact measures like this. I know the damage 
that this disruption is doing and will do to people's lives, to their businesses and to their jobs. And that's why we've produced a huge and unprecedented programme of support, both for workers and for business. And I can assure you that we will keep these restrictions under constant review. We will look again in three weeks and relax them if the evidence shows we are able to. But at present, there are just no easy options. The way ahead is hard, and it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. And yet it is also true that there is a clear way through. Day by day, we are strengthening our amazing NHS with 7,500 former clinicians now coming back to the service. With the time you buy, by simply staying at home, we are increasing our stocks of equipment. We are accelerating our search for treatments. We're pioneering work on a vaccine. And we are buying millions of testing kits that will enable us to turn the tide on this invisible killer. I want to thank everyone who is working flat out to beat the virus. Everyone from the supermarket staff to the transport workers to the carers to the nurses and doctors on the front line. But in this fight, we can be in no doubt that each and every one of us is directly enlisted. Each and every one of us is now obliged to join together to halt the spread of this disease, to protect our NHS and to save many, many thousands of lives. And I know that as they have in the past so many times, the people of this country will rise to that challenge and we will come through it stronger than ever. We will beat the coronavirus and we will beat it together. And therefore, I urge you at this moment of national emergency to stay at home, protect our NHS and save lives. Thank you. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, let's bring in CNN International anchor Max Foster. He's live in Windsor, England, outside London. And CNN International Security Editor Nick Payton Walsh, who's live outside number 10 Downing Street. Uh, Max, uh, how significant is it that the Prime Minister is speaking now? I, I seem to recall a few weeks ago he said something that was derided as rather foolish, but now he seems to be taking this very seriously. Well, it is a U-turn, but I think it's probably on very good advice. Britain is going into a lockdown. He had asked people to stay home and not take undue risks. But we saw these images coming out over the weekend of people gathering in parks, people cramming into the London underground, train carriages, and people literally weren't taking him seriously. So he's had to ramp things up and he's given police powers now to find people who are out and about for non-essential purposes and any gatherings of more than two. He's telling people to stay at home. He's warning that the virus is about to hit the UK in a major way and the health service won't be able to cope unless people come together, act like communities and act in a responsible way. And we haven't seen enough of that, Jake. That's the sadness here. And Nick, uh, the prime minister there saying basically to, to everyone in the UK, there's there's only a few reasons to, you should leave home uh, if there are medical needs uh, to and from work. If you can't work from home, uh, if you need to exercise and you should do so by yourself or with people in your household, but not with anybody else uh, and then shopping, but only for necessities. What kind of precautions are in place across the U UK right now? 
significantly less than what we've heard. Jake, no mistake here, Britain is waking up to three weeks. Remember, during that speech, he said they will review this in three weeks' time, potentially realising that the idea of giving these extraordinary restrictions indefinitely would make some people slightly wary of them. But Britain's waking up, frankly, to restrictions on its daily movements that nobody in this generation has seen before. In fact, only those most vulnerable to the coronavirus, over 70, may remember something close to this uh, during the Second World War. This is quite extraordinary. All shops closed, literally every public building, frankly, that isn't a supermarket or a pharmacy will be closed under this. He said police will have powers that may suggest the future tense there, that they still have to put legislation through to enable the police to disperse those gatherings here. But remember, this is an extraordinary message from a prime minister who has let the UK be something of an outlier, frankly, pursuing a strategy where some said they were trying, the scientists confessing they were letting the disease spread to some degree, a strategy of mitigation to get the population immune. That clearly was wasn't working. Figures, models making them feel they could be seeing a death toll possibly of a quarter of a million people through the length of this pandemic and they've suddenly changed over the past week. Many wondering though when these measures, lockdowns, bringing them much more into proximity with their European neighbours who are beginning to be critical frankly of the UK approach when this would come. But there will be some still who don't say it goes far enough. They have not prohibited everyone going to work uh, and there are certain exemptions here that people may start using to still move around. But still an extraordinary moment here for the United Kingdom. Jake? Nick and Max, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Stay safe to both of you. Coming up next, we're going to talk to one of the doctors on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic. Stay with us. Here's some breaking news for you now. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, a moment ago, ordering an essential lockdown of the UK, telling people they need to stay home and only leave for necessities, medicine, food, or, or exercise, or work. This, as the World Health Organization announces a global clinical trial to try to find a coronavirus treatment. Joining me now to discuss, Dr. Adam Jerry, who's Chief Medical Officer at Holy Name Medical Center in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, Dr. Jerry, thanks for joining us. What's your reaction when you hear the World Health Organization is doing treatment trials? Uh, does it fill you with optimism? Do you think it could be readily available? Or are, are you skeptical? What do you think? Well, I think it's a good move, but I am concerned that things cannot happen soon enough. Unfortunately, good research takes time. So on the front lines, we are doing here at Holy Name Medical Center what I think many organizations are doing. And we're using drugs that have not shown proven efficacy for coronavirus, but we know the safety profile of those medications. And so we're using them based on some very small studies, based on the understanding of how that drug works and knowing the safety profile of those medications and knowing the potential risk of coronavirus, we're using those medications now. What do you say to someone who have made one of these drugs, the World Health Organization, may, may have one of these drugs, the World Health Organization is going to be testing, such as uh, chlor- chloroquine in their medicine cabinet, and they're thinking about taking it on their own? Yeah, no one, no one should take those medications on their own. First of all, those medications might help. And because they only might help, It's important that individual patients discuss with their primary care physician the risk and benefit of that medication for coronavirus. All medications that we take have risks, and therefore you should only take a medicine if you've discussed it with your primary care provider who's made a decision that the benefits of those medications outweigh the risks. Certainly in patients with coronavirus, that may be the case for the chloroquine-type medications, but you only want to do that in good consultation with with your doctor. You're on the front lines of this pandemic, uh, and, and Teaneck uh, is in something of a shutdown, I, I believe. Can you describe how things are going 
uh, both in Teaneck and in specifically in your hospital? So we recommended several weeks ago to the leadership in Teaneck that it was time to begin thinking about uh, a shutdown. And that has happened here in Teaneck appropriately, and we're glad that happened. We began seeing cases here about two and a half weeks ago, and it's really ramped up since then significantly. Our emergency room is essentially full of coronavirus patients. We have approximately 20 patients in the hospital that have known coronavirus and another 60 patients that we suspect highly have coronavirus, and we continue to see more and more patients. The scary part of this disease, and I I say scary not to make people afraid, but to stress how important it is that they follow the recommendations of social isolation. The patients that we see that come into the hospital who need care, a significant percentage of them are going to progress and need critical care and need to be put on ventilators. And and, uh, at what point do people come in when they have trouble breathing or when they lose so much energy they can't even stand? What's the point that differentiates somebody who who has it or probably has it and is and is self-quarantining at home and somebody who needs to go to the ER? So what we've done here at Holy Name is we set up a telemedicine option for all of our patients. We hope that they are using that option and they are making that decision about whether or not they need to come in while they're talking to a provider on the phone. But but the bottom line is, if you are having symptoms typical of a flu with low-grade fever and a slight cough or congestion, then you really should stay home. When you begin having high fever, and most importantly, when you begin feeling any symptoms of shortness of breath, that's when it's important that you come be seen in your emergency department. I want to stress, though, Patients that are coming in either to their doctor or to their emergency department really need to call ahead. We need to stem the tide of this infection. And when patients call ahead, we can be prepared for that patient and our staff can use the appropriate protective gear so they're they're not at risk. All right, Dr. Tara, thank you so much for your time and thank you for the work you and your medical team are doing on the front lines there in Teaneck, New Jersey. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Two major nations say they will not be sending their athletes to the Summer Olympics. What officials are saying about the status of the Games, that's next. If you need a little inspiration to get off the couch and get moving, even as you're confined to quarters, a man in Toulouse, France, ran an entire marathon on his 22-foot balcony. He crossed the imaginary finish line in just under seven hours after the two races he had been training for were canceled. No word on whether his downstairs neighbors were cheering him on or begging him to stop. In other sports news, Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe giving a strong indication that the Summer Olympics might be postponed. Canada and Australia announced that they will not send their athletes if the Games go on as scheduled in July CNN's Will Ripley joins me now live from Tokyo. Will, where do things stand right now with the International Olympic Committee? Well, they're saying, Jake, that they need four weeks to sort out the massive logistical nightmare that is involved when you're moving a major global sporting event like the Olympics. Everything from cancellation fees to making sure the venues are available. We've even heard that they sold most of the Olympic athletes' village. People are supposed to be moved in by next year. So that all needs to be sorted out. But what is being said without explicitly saying it or making an official announcement, is that Tokyo 2020 is not going to be happening in late July. The question is, when will it be happening? And how are they going to make it all work? Is there any consideration, Will, being given to just outright canceling the Games? No. uh, The Japanese Prime Minister, the International Olympic Committee, all have said that basically canceling the Games is not an option. 
And even though postponing the games, according to one economist I've spoken with here in Tokyo, could cost Japan upwards of five and a half billion extra dollars on top of the 20 billion they're already on track to spend, it's still significantly cheaper to hold the games considering all the infrastructure and whatnot that's been invested uh, to postpone them. Will Ripley in Tokyo for CNN. Thank you so much, Will. Good to see you. Stay safe. The White House Coronavirus Task Force will give an update in the next hour. We're going to bring that to you live. Stay with us. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 